Jesus, we do speak your name this morning. God, for in it we recognize, Lord, the power that is not of ourselves, Lord, but of you, that only comes from you, that there is life, that there is hope, and that there is a promise, Lord, in your name, in Jesus' name. God, we thank you that we can cry out to you this morning. We can call out to you, Lord, as we think about this season, as we think about, Lord, the weight that transpired before the coming of your son and God, even the way that your son came, Lord, quietly, Lord, wrapped in a swaddling cloth in a, in a manger in the, in the simplest, humblest of ways, Lord. And God, we focus on that today and in this season and we celebrate that. We celebrate the fulfillment of your, your promises and the prophecies that came before, Lord God, solidifying who you are and the love you have for your people and for this world. And Lord, we still, to this day, we, we now wait again in expectancy and hope, Lord God, for the second coming of your son, which will be much different, Lord, as you return as king over all. God, I pray, Lord, just for all those, Lord, in this place this morning and those watching online, God, all the, the different situations and the, 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 the homes and the families and the challenges that are in this room today. But regardless of where we find ourselves this morning, the answer to that situation or that challenge is always Jesus. Forgive us, Lord, where we turn to other things, where we turn to other uh, fulfillment, Lord God, or, or to, to sources of, a, of being a savior. Again, Lord, you've designed us to walk in relationship, and there's nothing wrong with, with, with getting help from other places, Lord. But ultimately, we must recognize where our source is, and that is in Jesus. For those who have relationship with Jesus this morning, Lord, we all just want to call out to you and say, God, thank you, Lord, that you have not left us alone, that you have not abandoned us, but God, that you are closer than we could ever imagine, that you are present with us. That is, the, that is what Emmanuel means, is God with us. And so, Lord, we thank you that today, Lord, we, even in this place and in this moment right now, know and sense, Lord God, that you are present here amongst your people. And we thank you for that, God. We thank you, Lord, just that our hearts would be prepared, Lord God, and, and have been prepared, even through the lifting of our voices to you. Lord, that we would be prepared to hear your word. And God, that it would, it would, it would be able to penetrate to the depths of our being and that it would land on good soil and take root. So God, we thank you for today and for this time that we have. We ask you to bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Make sure you say hi to somebody as you're sit sitting down. Um, whether you know them or not, just say hello and uh, grab a seat. All right. Well, you are a lively bunch this morning. I like it. That's good. You open the gates. When you say, say hi, you guys know what you're doing. You got it down. That's good. We are friendly people for sure. Well, listen, um, you know, it's, it's always one of the taglines or one of the, the lines that is embedded in, in every uh, preacher, pastor, of that we are excited, right? Because that's what we have to say, because we have to be excited if we're up here, because we want to bring you in. But I really, truly am excited to be here today. I love Christmas time, right? I love the light. Yeah, it's okay. Give a shout. It's good. Um, the lights, just all the, the decorating. Again, I just want to say a huge thank you to all those that came out to help decorate. I mean, this place looks just wonderful. Uh, I, I love the, the lights and the trees and the garlands and everything else. Um, but I also, I love this here, right? And again, I know, you know, some of this is more formal, you know, as far as what tradition of Christianity you might have come up in. But I love the fact that it's here and it's on display because, you know, and, and as we walk through this and as we uh, cons consider just a lot of things through this season of Advent, you know, we want to always be aware because the reality is, is, and I don't have to tell you, you know, too much about it because you experience all the time is, you know, Christmas has become so commercialized. And if we don't find moments or ways to remind us, to kind of bring us back to that center place of where our focus should be on Jesus, uh, we can kind of find ourselves drifting and being caught up and you blink and Christmas has come and gone, right? And you're exhausted. <laughs> 
all the meals you had to eat, meals you had to prepare, the, the gifts, the going here, the going there, and you're just, by the time you get done with it, you blink and you, you don't even know what had happened. And so I want to challenge each of us today, including myself, you know, to, to find ways to slow yourself down, to find ways to be fully present in these moments and in this season, because it is, it is, a, a, it is critical. Obviously, if you're, if you're a believer, if you are a Christian, this is, you know, it's this and Easter, right? <laughs> Those two times of year. And so listen to me. I, I want to challenge you as well. This is the season for you to, to talk to somebody that doesn't know the Lord. Now, a lot of you just said, okay, he's not talking to me anymore. <laughs> no, I am. I really am. And, but, but what it is, though, is, is people are already tuned in. And honestly, during this time of year, while there's great celebration, there's great joy, especially for those of us who, who do call Jesus Lord and Savior of our lives, for a lot of people, it's, it's really a time of sorrow and sadness, Right? Because there, there's, there's losses or, you know, maybe they, it, they can't have a big Christmas or there's financial struggles or maybe there's even just sickness and they're just going through difficult times in a difficult season. And while they look around and they see all the celebration and all the things going on in the world, and even those that are celebrating and look the part, some, a lot of times in their heart, it's, there's emptiness. It doesn't, it doesn't fill that space. And it's amazing what a well-timed question can do or just that conversation, just to see what God might do in that. Because people's hearts are, they're searching. They're searching, and, and we know the answer. And so, you know, um, with this time of year, again, people are, are turned that way, but also, you know, it, we're in that season, you know, we're at the beginning of December, and as Pastor Santiago, you know, he beat me to it too. He said, Merry Christmas, and, you know, it's, it's, you're starting to hear it. But we still have a little bit of a wait, right? <laughs> Christmas is still a few days away, and you know we are now uh, going to, for this, this season of Advent, going to be in a series called Waiting Room. And how many here just love with all your heart to wait for things? You're just like, I can't wait. You say it though, right? I can't wait. <laughs> but it's not because you like waiting. It's because you want to get to that thing. And the reality is, is that a lot of us just don't do well at waiting. And especially in our culture here, we want it now. You know, we want it, we want it yesterday, right? Um, I've shared this, I think, before, but I'll share it again. It's, it's funny, you know, for me, the, the, the difference between uh, being up here in the Midwest and the North compared to being in the South. So for a season, we lived in Savannah, Georgia, and loved it. But the one thing is that their fast is very different from our fast. <laughs> Extremely different. Um, I was in a drive-thru down there, and there were literally no cars in front of me. And it was a fast food place. I'm not going to say the name of the place. But there was nobody in front of me, and I was in line. And it was not Culver's, where they make it fresh for you on the spot. I'll tell you that. And I was there for like 22 minutes and 47 seconds. Not that I was keeping count or anything. And there was nobody else in line. And I'm just sitting there like, what are you, are, what are you creating inside there right now? Like, what are you doing um, and I was just getting angry. And I wish I could say I had this great moment and the Lord spoke to me and convicted me. It didn't happen. It really didn't. <laughs> I was okay to the person. I didn't, you know, bless them out, as they say in the South. You know, we, um, <laughs> bless your heart, yep. Um, but I was not, I was, I was, I was upset and frustrated. And, but then later on, um, the Lord did just convict me and challenge me, like, you know, I, here I am. I mean, I had 20 minutes, and yeah, there was nobody else, but they, maybe they're having a bad day, or we, you just don't know, or maybe that's their, their fast. And, and so, you know, my, my favorite line, my family gets to hear it all the time, is when it takes a while, you know, I'm like, they're taking the fast out of fast food. Um, and, but it's, it's something that I'm continuing to grow in, and so I appreciate your prayers in that area. But the, the point is, though, is, is I don't do well at waiting, <laughs> Right? And, you know, I'm good at preaching it, like literally here and at home um, to my kids, you know, like, hey, you know, this is, it's the leading up to it is the fun part, right? Because it's going to come and it's going to be gone like that. And then just like I said earlier, you know, it's, it's gone and you're going to be like, wow, it just came and went. But the fun part is really the anticipation of what's coming, right? And learning to wait on that. And so, you know, whether it's waiting for food, waiting for Christmas, 
Yeah, I mean, that's the whole the Advent calendar, right? I hope you guys are participating in that. I know some of you are, but go online. It's, it's, really, it's, it's really cool. I'm really proud of uh, Amanda and, and, and just her putting that together. And it's, it's, it's great. It's great for us to connect. And I don't know if anybody's going to be Daryl, though, just so you know. Daryl gets up like at 4.30. <laughs> so, you know, you got to get the jump. But, but yeah, <laughs> he's got his mug already. He's on it. He's on it. He's going to clean up this season. But, but... But that, that's the whole point of the Advent calendar, isn't it? It's, it's just giving us something, and it's a way for us to wait. It's a way for us to build anticipation. But also, I love about the Advent calendar, I mean, we get the things, and we win some things, but like today, you know, there's, there's scripture, and there's, there's reminders, and it, it brings us back to that place. But there's a way for us to wait as we approach Christmas, the birth, when we celebrate the birth of Jesus. I mean, Advent itself means arrival. That's what Advent means, and so we are in this season of anticipating the arrival of Jesus to the earth, of the promised Messiah. And so, you know, if you think you're struggling in the wait, just imagine the people of Israel. Their advent calendar landed somewhere around 700 years long, right? So just imagine that, right? Puts it in perspective for us about our waiting and, you know, they had, you know, all these, you know, windows, if you will, every day opening up, but, you know, it wasn't ready. It wasn't time. You know, it was, it was not the season. The, the fullness of time hadn't come at that point. And, you know, they waited that long for the prophesied child. And then the interesting part is when he did show up, and if, if we just talk very candidly here, he wasn't what they wanted, because at that point, they were looking for a king. They were looking for what we are anticipating as his second coming. They were looking for that at, at, at the first. And while they knew about it, when he came, they're kind of like, wow, <laughs> that's underwhelming. But God has a plan, right? And this gift came wrapped in swallowing clothes, this child They'd, they'd expected for so long, but it, maybe it was just different than they thought. And so as we go through this series, these next, this, this week and the next three weeks leading up to Christmas, you know, we need to remember that our life is full of opportunities for waiting. And this, this four-week series we're going to walk through is going to examine just common everyday sort of moments where we wait for things. Right, and, and it's going to be, be normal stuff, like Christmas morning, for example. We've talked about that. You know? But some of us wait as we're going through in, uh, school, and we graduate from high school, and we're waiting to head off to college. Others, for, for some of us, it was getting married. You know, we really were looking forward to that. Or maybe it's the birth of a child, which you know, a lot of us have experienced that. And there's that anticipation and, and that, that, that building up as we look forward to those things. But we find ourselves, again, through all those things, we're longing for getting to that point of the event itself, aren't we? We're looking for that, arriving at that place. But in this Advent season, it needs to be present. It needs to remind us that God is at work. And here it is, even in the struggle and the beauty of the waiting, God is working and moving. For you today and for me today, maybe whatever that is, maybe whatever your prayer is, maybe whatever you've been praying and calling out to God to, to, to meet a need or a concern or, or whatever that is, don't miss out on the waiting part because that is just as important. And sometimes, hear me out, hear me this right now, even if sometimes it's more important than the thing itself that you're actually looking for. Because a lot of times God is wanting to do things within us and it can only happen in that season as we're waiting and anticipating. And when that thing finally comes, it's like, okay, that's great, I have that. But the work that went out, and, and many of us that have gone through, t through seasons of, of sorrow or struggle or, or trial, right? We would never have asked for that. We would never have signed up for that. But if we're honest, God accomplishes the greatest things and the greatest works in us in those seasons than when we're sitting high on the mountaintop and, and everything is, is fine, right? Waiting, waiting on God. And sometimes, again, we, we, take, we, we, we expend more energy and effort just trying to push through the weight <laughs> to get to the thing 
and we miss out what God is doing in us. And so that's kind of the overview of the, the series of what we're looking at through, during this season. It's where I would really challenge you and challenge all of us to be kind of sitting in and, and letting that sort of just, you know, soak in a little bit during this season as, as we go through this wait. Um, but today we're going we're gonna to dial it in a little bit. And we're going to look at Isaiah, and even actually the, the scripture that was read earlier from Isaiah, is, we're going to land in that area uh, as we get in a little deeper here. But, you know, we see in Isaiah that the, when uh, he promised the birth of a Savior for the people of Israel, they realized they didn't know exactly how long it would take to get their gift, but through it all, their hope endured, right? I mean, imagine that, you know, a lot of times we, we can put a time window on things, can't we? <laughs> We can put sort of like, okay, I just got to persevere. You know that Christmas is coming on the 25th of this month, and so, you know, we can kind of keep going, and we know the finish line. Now, imagine if, you know, somebody came to you and said, hey, you're going to get a million dollars. And you're like, well, when? And they're like, you're just going to get a million dollars at some point. And you live out your entire life here on earth. <laughs> and it, it, it never, maybe it never happens. This, this time. I mean, you think about the promise of, of Jesus coming, multiple generations went through, yet they still held on to that very thing. This, with the candle that's lit, they held on with hope. Their hope endured because they knew God, if God promised it, that God would fulfill his promise. It's hope, it's expectation. If you recall, we just came out of that series in Romans where we hit on very, very in depth that, that there was that almost that groaning like childbirth as creation is waiting and longing to be set free as when Jesus returns and sets things right. And the same is, is the case here with the foretelling of, of the birth of Christ centuries prior to it actually taking place, to, to it happening. So again, there's this expectation. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to that, that verse, that chapter, chapter 9 of Isaiah. I'm going to read just a little bit before, and we're going to go through, uh, through verse 7. Isaiah 9, verses 2 through 7. And it reads like this. It says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Verse 4, for the yoke of his burden and the staff of his, for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. And I want you to remember that word Midian. We're going to come back around to that in a moment. For every boot of, for the, of the trampling warrior in battle, uh, tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Again, we always start here in verse 6, right? Because that stuff before is not very Christmassy, is it? <laughs> Rolling garments in blood and burn it in fire. But hey, you're going to get your money's worth today, I promise, all right? Now we get to verse 6, okay? Verse 6. Now let's go back to Christmas mode. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Verse 7. Of the increase of his government and of the peace, and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with the righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, and I thank you, Lord, again, for our hearts to be in the place now to receive what you have, for your word is, in your word is life, and God, we pray that it would speak to our hearts today, that we would truly be changed from the inside out, and we trust that you are at work in this moment. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. And so we hear this every Christmas, right, this passage, it's, it's, you're going to hear it at some point. You heard it this morning here. Um, for those of you who haven't made plans for Christmas Eve, by the way, Christmas Eve lands on Sunday this year, so you got to be here, all right? Um, so, but we'll have a 10 o'clock service, and I do hope that you can um, also join us. Uh, we'll be back at 4.30 for a special candlelight service in our uh, historic church building next door. It's really neat in there. If you can make it, we would love to have you. Um, I, think on, I think out in the banner and online, it says the family service is in the morning, and that's a candlelight. So if you guys have kids and you want to come to that, you can come to that. Just remember that there are open flames. That's all we ask. 
in a very old wooden church building, so if you can manage that. I've shared with you guys how I caught my hair on fire, right, before? At a candlelight service, and this was back in the VO5, you know, hairspray days. And it was a candlelight service, and we were bowed like this, praying, and then all of a sudden, the, the pastor's daughter is slapping me. I thought she was trying to give me the Holy Ghost or something, but she was slapping me in the forehead and uh, putting out the flame. So it was, it was a moment. I had, like, this, like, neat little this going on. It smelled really bad, but um, we don't want that to take place again. So we have fire extinguishers and everything else, so just bring the kids, come out 4.30, but definitely be here Christmas Eve. It'll be a real special time. But we're going to hear, you know, this verse, and you'll probably hear it that night again. You hear it all the time about, about in this passage of Scripture, and, you know, it is a very familiar passage about the birth uh, of a future child, Jesus, and he's going, it says he's going to bring about true freedom, peace, and joy for the people. And again, that encapsulates this whole idea of hope that we're talking about. That's what that looks like. And when Isaiah wrote this prophecy, prophecy all right, remember, we have to always think back to what was going on or to understand the context that the scripture was being written, especially that part beforehand that we always don't, don't want to read at Christmas because it's kind of graphic. And so what I want to do, though, today is we're going to kind of spend time on that four word part, okay, that, that part that's before, because I think that it's, it's, it really helps us understand what comes after. And so, you know, when he wrote that prophecy, Isaiah did, remember that the, the Israelites had not yet been taken into captivity, okay, had not been yet been taken into captivity, but they were experiencing this increased opposition from the Assyrians that we see, you can read about that in Isaiah chapter 8. So again, when you're hearing these things about darkness Right, And um, you're just talking about this yoke of his burden and staff on his shoulder, uh, the oppressor, the boot uh, that was, you know, the, of the warrior in this, this garment rolled in blood. Understand, this was prior to that captivity portion. But it is interesting if you, if you, when you read through it, though, I don't know if you caught this, but one thing that stood out to me, and I was wondering about it, and I found an answer I'm going to share with you, but it, notice that it's all in past tense, Right? You see all the ED endings in there? And so it's intriguing that, that, that Isaiah wrote about that in past tense, even though it hadn't fully happened yet. And I came across this, this Bible scholar named uh, Thomas uh, Constable, and he, he says this, and I, I think it's, he's hitting on the, what's going on there. He says, it says this, many prophetic prophets uh, in this section assure the certainty of things predicted. In Hebrew, a writer sometimes described as past what was really in the future. And he used this verb tense to emphasize that what was future was as sure to happen as if it had happened already. God would enlighten these, those in darkness by bringing new light to them, even though they did not deserve it. This was revelation about the future that was sure compared to unreliable predictions of mediums and wizards. And so it's very intriguing, right? Because there had to be this separation, because understand, especially in that time, even still today, there are still mediums, there are still people that function and operate in spiritual things, you know, the, the tarot card readers and all this, psychics and all this stuff, they are not hearing from God, from Jesus, just so you know, <laughs> right? There are still spiritual forces are still at work of darkness, misleading and, 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 and misguiding people. But here, again, you know, when Isaiah wrote this, He's like, no, this is God, <laughs> the God, the one that is faithful, and he will see it to completion to the point where we can say it already happened because it's done, right? Do you understand? Do you grasp kind of what's going on there? Do you grasp the significance of that? It was, it was critical for that and for you to, to understand that and for the people and the readers at that time to understand that. And it was, again, it was there to ensure that the people of God knew that this was not just some pep talk to help them, you know, stave off despair over their current circumstances. This was a promise from God, and he would see it through. Now, as we read this, I want you to remember this, okay? Remember that as we look at the Old Testament, and as we look especially at the things with Israel, remember that a lot of times, the majority of the time, it's, it's a lot of foreshadowing going on. There's a lot of parallels between Israel and, and the, the believer today, right? And so we can glean some understanding as we look at, at some of these things. And so let's kind of walk through some of these verses now, uh, beginning at verse 2. 
Just a reminder, let's just read it again. The, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And so, you know, again, we see and we realize it was a dark time. Even though they hadn't fully gone into captivity yet, things were getting really difficult. It was kind of on the, the horizon. And I know for some of us here today, while, you know, we may not have somebody, per se, on our border, <laughs> We see things going on in the world that, that make us concerned, that are a reason for concern, don't we? Where we're wondering, we have questions like, this does not look good. <laughs> and this is where we can kind of, we can glean some hope and some encouragement from these passages. Because again, you know, we see Israel here, they're, and, and we know the outcome, right? They are going to go into captivity. They are going to go through that season and that trial and that difficult time in their history. But we have the benefit of flipping a couple pages, and we know that God was faithful, wasn't he? To bring them out of that and to deliver on his promise. And so, again, understanding that is critical, and so we see that, that you know, again, that they're walking this darkness and they've seen a great light. In verse 3, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Again, the you there is talking about the Lord. And it says that it's multiplied the nation and increased its joy. We say this often here, and, and I hope you know this, and more so, I hope you walk in this. The reality is, is that you can experience joy even in the most difficult of trials and tribulation. Because joy is not the equivalent of happiness. Joy is not dictated by your circumstance. Joy, for you as the believer and myself as a believer, we are to have joy in all circumstances. Whether we're crying, whether we're shouting, whether we're laughing, even whether we're, di we're dying. We can have joy in our heart, can't we? Why? Because we have Jesus. <laughs> but oftentimes, I think we confuse happiness and joy. Joy is not an emotion. Just like love is not an emotion. It can be an emotion, but true love is much deeper than that, isn't it? I say it to my wife all the time. She probably says it more to me, that I'm choosing to love you right now. That is not an emotion, and I put that to the test often. <laughs> it's the same with joy. And I've seen people, especially believers, when they've lost a loved one, somebody so close, and they're going through so much pain and sorrow, but you can see the joy of the Lord in them through that process and through that season. And so we see here again that this joy had been increased even to the point where, again, it was, it was something and it was being compared to the harvest. And again, for this, you know, maybe not for us, we don't fully understand how significant the harvest was, but there was a lot of joy and celebration at the harvest. And it goes on now in verses four through six. And as we prepare to walk through these, we're gonna go through one at a time. And what I want you to notice, and it depends on how your uh, Bible is laid out, but these verses all start with, with the word for, right? And again, just like when, I, when we uh, preach from the New Testament, when we preach in the Old Testament as well, you know, that word for, it's, it, those are like building blocks. It's building something. That means they're all linked together. And it's funny, right? Because we always start in verse six with for to us a child is born. But we've missed two of the fours before that. <laughs> you see? So that's why we're going to go back today. So let's, let's, let's dig in here a little bit and get into this. As Again, remember, it's this building is going to take place. And what you're going to see is these three fours are actually three explanations that are provided for the joy that the people are supposed to experience. Okay? You with me? You got your, your waiters on? We're going to go in a little deep here today. All right, so verse four, for the yoke of the, his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken on or as on the day of Midian. Remember I said Midian earlier? We're back to it now. I know you've been waiting in anticipation and you've arrived. You see how I did that there? Teaching you to wait a little bit. Here we are. So we're there, all right? So Midian, Midian might sound familiar to some of you. If you grew up in the church, you might know the name Midian as this place 
And, you know, for a lot of us, though, in, in this moment, if you're feeling like this, it's okay. Don't worry about it. I have no clue what Midian is. You're in good company. It's okay. But I want to just kind of unpack this a little bit so you understand. It would have been something very significant for the Israelites. Very significant for the Israelites. All right? It was the national and religious equivalent of something like what our 4th of July, Independence Day, um, and the Emancipation Proclamation rolled into one. Okay? That's what Midian would have been. They would have known this very well, just like us, knowing, again, the Independence Day. In Judges 6, we find that it's, there was this oppression by the, um, of, of the Israelites by surrounding nation states, okay? And it's talking about, again, this yoke on their back and this bar on their shoulders, this rod of an oppressor. And in Judges 7, it talks about a battle, and there's a warrior in his name. This might bring some of you in a little closer. His name was Gideon, okay? Now, where we're headed now a little bit. And Gideon, if you remember... He was sitting in a pretty good position. He had 32,000 soldiers at his disposal. How many would like to command an army of 32,000? That's, that's a pretty good, I know compared to us here, yeah, I see you back there. I don't know if that would be good for you, but it was Holly. I love you, Holly. <laughs> if we all had 32,000, can you imagine that? Would you say? Hey, guys, can you take care of this? But he had 32,000. 32,000. And again, if you know the story, that God promises Gideon that, again, they will win the day, but in the meantime, he wants Gideon to start kind of pulling out some of the, you know, thinning out the ranks a little bit. And I'm not going to go into all detail for the sake of time, but he goes from 32,000 down to 300. Now, again... I know all of us here, because we walk in that kind of faith and trust the Lord in such a way, we'd be like, oh, that's cool. But for Gideon, it was a little nerve-wracking, right? Because he's down to 300 troops, 300 soldiers. But he was faithful, and he was obedient, and did what God said. And they, through this series of events, they came in, and the Midianites, basically, they lost their mind, Right? They, the, the 300 surrounded the camp. They blew their horns. They broke these jars. They uncovered these torches. And the Midianites freak out. They think they're surrounded. And again, in disarray, they end up fighting. They kill each other. The Midianites did. And the victory was handed over to Israel and to God, ultimately. And that's why God told, told Gideon to thin out the troops. Because he's like, God, I will receive the glory for this. Not you, not the power of man. But they won the day, and that's what, what is being referenced here as, as Midian. And so understand, you know, you know, maybe you're asking again, what is this in relation to Christmas and what we're talking about here? Again, they're wanting to, the, the, the prophet here, Isaiah, is setting us up, or he's, he's explaining that this stuff happened, and he's reminding that God was faithful in that point. And so it's pointing to the, the messianic day that, again, it's going to be marked by the lifting of burdens. And the work of Jesus will be far greater than that of Gideon in the past. You see, as Jesus, when he came and he grew up into a man, ultimately when he went to the cross and died, he broke the power of sin. He broke the power of death. And, and those, those, those places that, that had had a hold on people for so long, he was doing that as the promised Messiah. You know, we see in Luke's gospel when Jesus began his preaching ministry in the synagogue even, at Nazareth, it was there that he declared that he was fulfilling the task by quoting Isaiah 61, one through three, which is another familiar passage for most of us. And he, he, I'll read it here from Luke four. So again, imagine, you know, he walks in and he sits down and opens the scroll and starts reading this. He says, he reads from, and again, this is Luke, but it's referencing back to Isaiah. He says, and he came to Nazareth and where he had been brought up, um, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue. So you're going to hear Jesus is walking in. Scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He un un unrolled it and began to read. 
And this is what he said. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And here it comes, classic Jesus fashion. I love it. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That will get you to a cross to be crucified. Right? Think about how quiet it is right now. That's what it was in that synagogue. Like, did he just, did he just, he just said that. that, that it was huge. And here's Jesus, comfortable in the silence. <laughs> it probably didn't last very long before he started getting yelled at. But we see that Jesus came, and he's, he's quoting this scripture. Why? Because of the significance of who he is and what he was about to do on the cross. And so the bondage spoken of here is not just physical servitude, but the oppressive burden of sin, which is to be lifted by the good news or the gospel message. That gospel message is still today. While we see the oppression that the Israelites went through and, and, and that, that physical experience and that burden that it was, understanding, and this is what God cares about more than anything, was sending his son Jesus to break that power and that burden, that oppressive burden of sin and death. That's what it's all about. And going back to what I said at the beginning, where, where we, no, I, I, I don't want to misquote or present this the wrong way, but I'm going to say it regardless. God cares less about your suffering in this present moment than he does in your eternal destination. Now, don't misquote what I'm saying. He loves you. He cares about you. But just like if you have a son or a daughter and they make dumb decisions and they cause themselves tremendous amounts of grief and pain and suffering and you come to this place where you're like, tough love, right? Come on now. Tough love. And so you love them, but you, 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 there comes a point where you have to kind of step back and like, okay, you're going to have to walk this out and learn. And that's the same thing that God is doing with us. He's like, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. I'd rather you not do this. But I love you nonetheless. But ultimately, if this trial, this struggle produces for you, in you, the character of Christ Jesus, and I know that you will be present in eternity with me where there will be no more suffering and no more tears and no more pain, then as much as it pains me, I'm going to watch you go through this difficult season. Because I want you to, to hear my voice. I want you to learn. I want you to know what it is to be like Christ. That's what Jesus cares about today, church. That's what we're looking at. And then it goes on in verse 5 and another 4. Here comes another block, right? As we, the, the, these blocks of joy. They don't sound like joy at the beginning, but if you understand joy, you see what's going on here. And it says, For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle... Tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Again, here's another one of these, these, these clauses. A, future, a further future, uh, sorry, feature of that, that's taking place or that will cause great joy and will be the coming of peace. And again, this is not necessarily between nations, but peace, here it is, going back. And again, it's my, every point comes back to the same <laughs> root of it, right? It comes back to this. That this peace that's being talked about is not as much about nations as it is peace between, finally, between God and man. We see war happening all over the world. And I'm here to tell you this it will never stop this side of eternity. The condition of the heart of man and, and, and the condition of man, that especially that is apart from God, it's, it's, it's in its nature. It's in our nature. And so we're going to see this. But again, 
God, there's some things that were accomplished here on earth, but the big picture, again, was this, once again, this restoration and bringing peace between God and man. Luke 2, 14. And suddenly there was with an angel a multitude. Again, remember this one. This is always at Christmas time, the shepherds. A multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Those who have professed Christ as Lord and Savior, those who have, again, entered into the work of the cross, praise God, you have peace because you are among those whom he is pleased. Not because of how great you are, not because of, I'm not there either, I'm not great in any way. It's only because of the work of the cross and and, and what Jesus and who Jesus is. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not, here it is, somebody needs to hear this, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. That is the message for today, church. While we celebrate the coming of Jesus as as a a baby in a manger, understand what the ultimate outcome was going to be. That now, again, peace has been restored between God and man. In verse 6, and again, here is the familiar one. For to us, right, the third piece, the final one. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The first part of the first part of that scripture, the final reason for joy <clears throat> is the greatest of all, because Isaiah tells of the birth of this special child who will come from the Davidic line. He was promised and foretold. The language used here in, in the following verse is based on that covenant that was made in, with David. And you can check that out in 2 Samuel in chapter 7. Again, God made this covenant with David. This child that will be born will be destined for rule as the government will rest upon his shoulders. His name's to be indicative of the character he has and the work he will do. Again, these names, remember that in that time and in that setting, remember that names were a big deal, right? Throughout the scripture, you know, if somebody's doing something, you know, whatever, good or bad, their name lines up with their character, with who they are. And for some of you, maybe you spent a lot of time praying, you know, and thinking about who, who, who am I gonna, what am I going to name this child because it's important. Or some of us, you know, we look at just what's the top five names on the you know, list this year. But during that time, it was, there was a lot that went into that because you were setting the trajectory for that, that child. And so think about it, thinking with, with that in mind, wonderful counselor, Mighty God, everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. It was being set forth and put out there. I'm going to touch briefly, very briefly, on these four names today. I can't believe it's been two years already, but two years ago, we actually did our whole Advent series was on, each week was on one of those names. So go check it out on the website if you want to hear more depth about each one. I'd encourage you to do that. Those are there. But I just want to touch and go briefly for the sake of time this morning. Wonderful counselor. The original Hebrew word there for wonderful comes from a root that is almost exclusively used of the things that only God can do. So understand, it's not like, oh, wow, the the lights are wonderful. No, this wonderful, the the way it's translated from is referencing God, and it only applies to God. So you think about that version of wonderful, and then you put counselor next to it. It has some pretty significant meaning, doesn't it? And how many of us here this morning need a wonderful counselor. You see, it would, this, this, using this word, wonderful, in front of this, it would alert the reader to the fact that something is being described here that is beyond human capability. You may have a, a, a great counselor, or maybe even call them wonderful counselor that you pay a lot of money for, some of us more than others. But the reality is, none of them can touch or even come close 
to the wonderful counselor that is Jesus Christ. Because he knows the depths of who you are. He saw you before you were even created, knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. He is truly the wonderful counselor. Mighty God. <laughs> Think about that again. It's talking about a child, but he's given this, these names. Mighty God. It, this name is being described to the child that's going to be born. He's mighty. And he's God. And those things together, those two terms are, are critical. And again, these aren't just describing how he is. This is describing who he is. Everlasting Father. He would be also be the Father of eternity. And again, this is a little confusing at times because we think, well, is he you know, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? It's not referencing the Trinity. What it's saying is he is the Father of eternity. The, the reference, it shouldn't be taken in that regard as, as the Trinity side. Right? It's not God the Father present. But again, Jesus leading the way and loving us and caring for us as a father would. And finally, the Prince of Peace. This Hebrew word for peace, as many of us know, is shalom. It means much more than what our English word can offer. But it points to the advance. Again, it, it points to this moving forward and the fact that he brings peace as well as prosperity and tranquility. All these things are tied up in this word, shalom. And it finishes out then in Isaiah 9, 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You see, when... God spoke this word through the prophet Isaiah. It became a message that the people of God would cling to for literally hundreds of years. Hundreds of years they would cling to this. And I'm, I'm, I'm sad to say that I don't do that well in that case. I'll say a prayer. I'll read a scripture verse. And I'll wait for a while, but then there comes a time like, well, I'll just take care of it myself. And 99.9999999% of the time, it fails miserably. You see, what the world needs today, church, as the prophets saw clearly, is not primarily a better philosophy of government or a more perfect system of legislation, but a person who has the character, wisdom, and power that needed to, it was needed to rule for God among men. And this was and is the central theme of prophecy from, from again, first to last. This is, this is what it's all about. And this is why, again, we're, we're supposed to be in the world, but, but not of it is what Scripture says. And, you know, when it comes to, like, to politics and, and government stuff and all these things, we, 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 we are called to participate, all right, as believers, but also as citizens of this country. We want to walk with the, and, and be good stewards, right, and, and be a part of our society. But let me caution you that you cannot put your hope and faith there completely, because even the best politician, even the best person you can think of on earth, you know, whoever that is, they will fail. They will fall. I'll tell you, even as a pastor, the things that I experience, you know, the, the way I feel like there is either whether it's temptation or stuff will come crashing in or somebody wants, you know, to kind of use me in my position for something like it's and it's it becomes tempting and let me tell you this, whenever you experience success in life and if you're really good at something and you have influence, see how many friends that you have overnight. And after a while, those words start to sound kind of good. Yeah, yeah you know what? I am, I am pretty good. <laughs> and it's such a slippery slope and we've seen it. We've seen it in our government and sadly we've seen it in the church as leader after leader after leader after leader after leader after leader Falls, 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 and falls. Why? Because they were put in a position they never should have been in. I'm not talking about as a pastor. I'm talking about they were put on a pedestal almost as little God, little G gods. And I'll tell you, you know, 
to my own detriment at times, like I, I just, I always take an ax to my pedestal because I know, I know. I know what this, my heart is capable of if I'm not careful and stay guarded. You know, we talk all the time and, and any pastor you ask, including me, you know, we always talk about how can we just, can you imagine if we grew to like a thousand people or something crazy, right? Don't think we don't count numbers, you know, people and, and you know, income and all that kind of stuff, giving. It, we look at those numbers and you know my biggest fear? My biggest fear is that would actually happen. <laughs> Frankly, I, I just want God, I just want to be found of being obedient to what God's called me to. Amen. That's what I want to be faithful and what, what I want to be known for. But it's scary to think, and, and that's why also, you know, what is the saying, you know, he who lives in a glass house, whatever, you know, about throwing stones. I don't judge those leaders that fell. I have no place to, I have no right to because I can't imagine that success that they experienced, right? Now, again, it doesn't let them off the hook if there were some things done wrong and, and all that. But all I'm saying, church, is let's just be careful, you know, where we put our hope in, who we put our hope in in our faith. If it doesn't start with a J and end with Jesus, then you're in the wrong pool, okay? As we prepare to wrap up today, I just want to, I want to leave you with a few questions. And we're going to move to a time of communion. And I just want, even during this time, I want this to be a preparation time right now. Okay? I've got full view of what time it is. I will have you, I will get you to your destination just fine. Stay with me. Stay plugged in just for a minute. Listen. All right? You know, I just talked about judging, and it might be easy for us to look at the scripture, and we can judge the Jew Jewish nation for rejecting Jesus. And I, you know, say that sometimes, like, how in the world could you miss Jesus if he was physically standing in front of you? Like, how is that even possible, right? In my loving, kindest way, I would say that. <laughs> but before we're too hard, we need to understand that that could have been any of us in that position. It probably would have been us. But what we can do as we look at this is let's learn from the mistakes, some of the mistakes that were made. And here's a question I want to present to you. And again, just let these just kind of simmer for a little bit. And maybe you, maybe if you have a paper and a, a pen there, write them down or go back and watch this. But here it is. Our, this is one. Are the desires deep within us for what is God's best or are they more for what's best for us? Are the desires of your heart this morning, do they tend to land in that arena of, of what is God's best? You know, would you be bold enough? Would you be, would you be brave enough to pray that prayer, Lord, have your way. I submit my will to yours, regardless of what I see with my eyes, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's difficult. Or I want the path of least resistance. See, we can find ourselves today in solidarity with the feelings that they must have all been having while waiting for the Messiah. And while we wait today in our situation, we can work again to, to temper our expectations with the reality of what's best instead of what's most self-serving. That was question one. Question number two. I'm glad I can share these with you this morning. Are we attempting to make our Savior, Jesus, into our image? Or do we desire to make our image to be more like him? You see, remember, the Jewish nation expected a king who would reign supreme. <laughs> and so while they were waiting, check this out, they created a king in their own image, powerful and in control of the masses. Again, if we are not careful... <laughs> We can take things, we can even take good things and manipulate them and change them into what we think should be best. And when we do that, we now have made ourselves God, don't we? That's the reality. 
So whose image are you trying to become today? Are you trying to cram Jesus into being more like you? And the third and final question, do we recognize that we have a king who cares more about conquering sin than lands or kingdoms? Do we recognize that we have a king who cares more about conquering sin than lands or kingdoms? See, instead, God had given a king who was more concerned with conquering sin and inviting people into an everlasting kingdom than with wearing a political or national crown of power. Understand today, church, (laughs) I hope you're hearing me this morning. God cares and loves you deeply. And if you're here this morning within the sound of my voice in this room, or if you're watching online, or if you're watching this later, Jesus loves you, and he wants to remove that barrier between you and your creator. That's the whole reason he came. And he will stop at nothing to help you to see that need. And for those of us here who profess Jesus as Lord and Savior, we need to be reminded this morning, and that is my prayer, that God cares more about that sin in your life that remains that you're holding onto that is blocking the blessing of God from pouring out on your life. And let me explain one more thing, that until we as a church as the body of Christ in Long Grove start to get before the Lord and get on our face and repent of our sin and address those things that may not seem that big of a deal, we will never be able to accomplish together what God has set out for this church to do. We have to stop being selfish and stop thinking only about ourselves and how our sin affects us or doesn't affect us and understand that you can be hindering the work of the Christ in this church. I'm not saying that so that you walk and leave and never come back. I'm saying that you would walk forward and you would look at your eyes at that cross and repent because that's the beauty. God didn't leave us in our sin. He didn't leave us without hope. We have hope because we can come to the cross and we can repent and be saved and see God do amazing things. want this just to be another Christmas season. Do you understand? Time is short. I don't know what that is. I don't, I'm not going to say that God's coming back this or then or Jesus whenever. I don't care about that. I want to be found being faithful. I don't care when God returns, frankly, when Jesus comes back. Right? <laughs> Sorry. I don't. What I care is that when he does come back, he finds my hand to the plow and my head is down and I'm just blazing forward. And all of a sudden I'm sweating and crying and my hands are bleeding and everything else. And then Jesus taps me on the shoulder and says, It's time to come home. You've done well. Let's go. Church, God has already given us the greatest gift. Thanks. Let's give a praise to God, Jesus. Thanks, Luke. You're doing great. Appreciate it. You guys just have us a couple minutes. Can we just let God just do what he needs to do this morning? God has already given us the greatest gift. And so until we see him again, our privilege is, listen, to share that gift. Imagine wrapping up all those presents and then you just put them in the closet on Christmas morning and you don't pull them out. I know about you, I find some of those sometimes, like a couple months later. But if we don't share it, church, We're not experiencing truly what God has designed for us to experience. Let's pray. Jesus, (laughs) oh God. Lord, you're good. You're so good and, and you're so faithful. And God, at times I just stand speechless before you because how you move and work through broken vessels like me and like all of these people in front of me this this morning. God, it is beyond us how the creator of this universe, why you would choose to do that. But God, when we see your love on display time and time again as we come back and we just say, Lord, forgive us. God, and how your presence and your spirit just comes rushing in. 
as light invades the darkness, Lord God, in our hearts and our lives. God, we're reminded how amazing and how perfect you are. God, as this candle burns, Lord, today of, of hope, Lord God, I pray for every person in this place, those that came in maybe without an ounce of hope this morning, God, I pray that that has been reignited in their lives. And God, that we recognize that we do have hope and that hope is in only in you. God, for those of us here whose hearts have drifted from you, God, I pray that today would be the day that, that we would repent. God, that we would come back to that, that place of knowing you in, in your fullness and glory. And God, that knowing what a relationship with you is truly about. And God, for those who may be here this morning, those in the room or watching online that maybe don't know you as Lord and Savior, I pray that today would be that day that they profess their need, Lord, to be saved, that they would repent of their sin, that they would acknowledge, Lord, the work that you came as that baby, but you grew into a man who went to the cross and died and was resurrected on the third day and now sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven. God, we thank you that during this season, Lord, that this would be what better time, Lord, to come to know you as Lord and Savior of our lives. God, may all of us in this room truly share the gift that we have in you with others during this season and, and all year round, but especially now as, as hearts are searching for what we know and what we've experienced. And so God, I pray that those here would do that. God, we thank you for this, this morning, for your word, and for what you've done in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand?